Podcast Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now. Howdy, friends. Happy hump day or night. Hey, it could be your hump night right now. Mm, that you, was last night. You enjoy. <laughs> How is everybody? Welcome to After 9. Sorry we didn't have an episode yesterday. It was uh, a real busy day. We had meetings to talk about our ratings, and then uh, the Trues was in, and they needed this studio because we've got all the good microphones in our podcast studio, mm-hmm. so we loaned it to them. Happy it, to do it, though. It, it was fine. Yeah, yeah so great. sorry no new episode yesterday, but we're here now. And I want to start off with a text message because I have a feeling there's a lot of people that are wondering this exact same thing. Kevin sends in a text. And he says, Scott, looking for a little bit of advice regarding my mortgage. I have a variable rate and I'm now at the trigger point where my payment is no longer covering the interest. Oh, yeah. How many people are in that predicament? I have a bank appointment next Tuesday. What are your thoughts about locking into a fix now? Or should I stay variable and pray rates don't continue to increase? Any advice is helpful. At this point, I'm beyond stressed. Before I tell you what I told him, do you have a a recommendation? Oh my gosh. Okay, so here's my problem is that, okay, so I have a mortgage broker. That's my go-to guy. He he knows everything about the business. He knows what's happening. He talked us into a fixed uh, a few years back. I'm lucky in that way. Um, and had had some thoughts on why. Fine. I had a good guy. I was lucky. That's probably the only reason why I, I'm not feeling the interest rate hikes yet, yet. Um, I, I, I usually always go fixed. But t- explain to me, though, how it works if you're in a variable attempting to go to a fixed. Isn't there some form of penalty in yep. there or else everybody would be doing it, correct? Yeah, and that's what I've been advocating for for a long time. If you, because this is unprecedented, seven rate hikes in one year, I think that for now, Justin Trudeau should go to the big banks and, and outlaw it. Say, you know what? We screwed up royally. People are paying way more than they can afford. Household disposable income is down. Businesses are suffering all because of the interest rates, all because of that son of a bitch, Tiff Macklem. So what we're going to do is we're going to forbid banks from charging a penalty to people who want to change their mortgage, cash out early, maybe uh, go to a different lender to renegotiate any of those things that they would typically charge you between 40 and 90 grand for. Total excessive. There's no need for that fee. It's meant to keep you locked into your current institution. Well, if everybody is free to go and renegotiate their mortgage, I think that would actually help. And I I think that the banks should just suck it up. No, you don't get the fee. You're getting all these incredible high interest rates right now. So you can't have it both ways. I think that Trudeau should do that and take Mm -hmm. away those penalties. But yeah, right now you would have to pay it. In this guy's case, I mean, he's at his renewal. So he could go to a new oh, lender. Oh, okay. Oh, if you're at the renewal, yeah, that's. A, I guess that's a tricky spot to be in. But if you've been burnt so bad, I mean, I don't know. My, my go fixed. Uh, go I fixed. told him. To, I told him to go variable. Okay. See. Uh, yeah. You. You just. Yeah. It, it all depends you know, on your comfort level. Honest to goodness, it does. It does. The way I see this happening is, again. Just to circle back to last Wednesday's pod, when I explained the interest rates and what's going on and the solutions to what's happening, I I did point out that TIFF is probably going to raise rates again in 2023. He will. But the Bank of Canada and being totally enabled by Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau, they are refusing to acknowledge what everyone can plainly see. 
everyone can plainly see that we are in a serious recession already. Do you know how many charities have messaged us Mm -hmm. in the last three days Mm -hmm. saying, I don't get it. Donations are like 30% of our target. What's going on? Nobody's donating. That's because nobody has any fucking money. Yeah, well, and I mean, even on top of that, let's be honest about what we run every single year is called Scott and Kat's Christmas List. We want to help families and we have partners for that uh, that help us through. And uh, I remember one year where it was just easy for these companies. I shouldn't say easy, but they were very, it was like, yeah, sure. How much can we give? They each gave like a thousand bucks cash. It was no problem. Easy peasy. It's been really tough this year. It's been really tough and we've been really blessed to be able to still run this, but to help families, but it's a lot of people are strapped companies as well. Yeah. You know, it's people, it's companies and those charities that have reached out to us, as you mentioned, aren't just short a little bit, Scott. I mean, we were talking about one charity earlier today um, that is short, like over $150,000 of their goal. Guelph Salvation Army. They're almost a hundred thousand dollars below their fundraising target. The annual campaign has raised sixty-two grand so far. That is less than forty percent of their goal. There's so many examples of that. People don't have money, and the point of this being that the Bank of Canada and Justin Trudeau and Christian Freeland are the only people that refuse to acknowledge we're in a recession. Now, there's some bankers and economists that also don't want to acknowledge it. They want a specific, specific piece of data to come out to say it. Well, reality is, if you talk to anybody, they're struggling so much right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that 2023 is going to be an absolute gong show between the housing market having a mini collapse, between foreclosures, the amount of homelessness that's going to go up, bursting at the seams, uh, food banks, and so on and so forth. I think we're going to be in a position where next year, that fucking idiot Tiff Macklem is going to have to come out and say, well, nobody saw this coming. We're in a bad recession. And I do think rates are going to come down in 2023. I think they're going to have to because there's going to be no choice. I'd like, to, I'd like to think so. I mean, that would be great. I mean, once the whole thing takes a serious turn for the worse, and Trudeau, that's when he's going to blame Tiff Macklem. That's when he's going to hang his boy out to dry and say, well, maybe you shouldn't have raised interest rates seven times in one year. But for now, he's not saying anything. He's letting Tiff get away with it. He's letting the bankers get rich. So in this case, I think once the economy says there's no more money, not only did you slow the economy, you burnt it to the ground, Bank of Canada, all the while losing $4 billion this year. First time in history they've ever lost money. So I think there's going to be a scenario where rates will have to come down just to keep the market solvent Mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. That's my My guess, you won't hear a lot of mortgage brokers or a lot of bankers talking about that because they have a vested interest in things being the way it is because they're making a lot of money. I don't think anybody's really going to tell you the truth except a fellow mortgage holder. And I'm a fellow mortgage holder. I have a variable rate right now. My mortgage has gone up over $2,000 a month. Yeah, it's insanity. I mean, again, it does depend on your comfort level. Like the fact that you're asking, but you've been variable, um, this particular person texting, I mean, that he was asking, but he's been variable. Obviously, that was his comfort level. Uh, level, And maybe I'd, I would love to know if he's been f- in a fixed rate before. Because some people who go variable, they just go variable. That's it. They feel like they're in the long run. I'm going to save more money this way. Um, but other people, if you like to plan out and know exactly what's coming out of your account and have a five-year plan, you're on fixed, baby, because you're not going to change that. You're going to make sure that you're locked in. You know exactly what's coming out, even if that means, hey, I could have saved a few hundred bucks. You know exactly what's coming out. So your personality comes into play here a lot. But the fact that you're asking for advice means that you're thinking about switching your usual routine. 
I'd say, obviously, first and foremost, figure out what that fixed amount is. Yep. Do some calculation. Look at your budget. Uh, ask yourself, can we do this for five years? You and your partner, that that's who you live with, or if it's yourself, can I do this for five years um, at this price? That's your question. And go from there. And if you think, fuck, that seems steep and I, I'll, I will regret it forever if it goes down then maybe there's your answer. Yeah, I mean, there's a risk and a reward to all of these decisions that so many people are making. Thousands of mortgages renew every single day and the sticker shock that people are getting when they find out that their mortgage is going from, say, 2500 a month to 4000 a month or more. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the Bank of Canada thinks people are getting this money from, especially when it was the Bank of Canada that said interest rates will remain low for an extended period of time. It's uh, it's scary what's going on. I would recommend that if you can do it and if the deal is right, take the shortest financing term possible. Because I really do think that in 2023, we're going to be in a very different situation than we're in right now. Right now, you're already seeing the job losses. You're already seeing it. The amount of layoffs in the tech sector alone should scare the bejesus out of people. And, and with these rates continuing to go the way they are, I, I think that we're in for a bad 2023, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, while we're talking Ottawa, I was going to move this back, but let's just get it done here. For a third time, the third time, a Justin Trudeau cabinet minister has been found in breach of Canada's ethics laws. There are laws that govern our federal politicians, and they're to make sure that they, they, they follow the rules, they operate with just an ounce of integrity, and do things the right way. The ethics commissioner has now concluded that the trade minister, Mary Ng, broke the rules by awarding a contract to one of her besties. Ng says she takes full responsibility for her actions and that the failure to recuse herself from a decision like that won't happen again. Why are there no actual consequences? Because as soon as this happened, we were all over in the House of Commons. The the conservatives, the bloc, the NDP. When will you resign or when will the prime minister fire you? You've been found in breach of ethics laws. You awarded a contract with taxpayer money to your buddy. You can't do that. At the absolute least, try and make it seem transparent. You pull yourself out of it, recuse yourself, and let the civil servants make the decision. And with a couple winks and nods, it's going to go your way anyway, unless they truly don't like you. But you'll probably stick handle it the way you want it to go. Your friend will still get the contract, and you're not in conflict. So I have to think not only is she unethical, she's fucking dumb. So... (laughs) I mean, there's no other excuse for that, that kind though? of incompetence. Who does that and thinks that they're going to get away with it? Yeah. I know. It's so, like, it's so funny. I mean, we know that shit like this happens all the time, probably. All it's the a time. Matter of, it's a matter of getting caught. That's all it is. And whether we're talking about something in public sector or government related or we're talking about something private, it doesn't matter. This happens all the time. But this one was like, obviously, well, it was obvious. Is what it was. There's no consequence, though. And and the prime minister just blows it off, and he starts talking about how he won a stupid by-election in Mississauga Lakeshore the other night. I don't know why that that's a badge of honor for the federal liberals, but it's an embarrassment for the NDP, and it's a consistent showing for the conservatives. Uh, Justin, winning a by-election in Toronto really means sweet you-know-what. It's, uh, was it 25% voter turnout? One in four eligible voters actually turned out. 
and it was still kind of close. So I wouldn't celebrate that. But that was the excuse that he was giving yesterday in the House of Commons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look at that by-election result. Ah, oh, Pierre's going down. That's not what's happening here at all. And it wouldn't happen that way in that riding again. I'll just tell you that the prime minister, to blow off calls to fire a cabinet minister that was found in violation of the ethics laws, is contempt. It's contempt of parliament. You cannot just turn a blind eye to someone violating our ethics rules. We have them for a reason, to try and maintain an ounce of integrity in a sea of shitty people. So the fact that she did this and is not stepping down, she said she accepts responsibility. No, you don't. Mary, if you accepted responsibility, you would step down. Keep in mind, the people who are breaking these rules are the same people that 10 years ago lost their absolute minds when Bev Oda expensed a $16 glass of orange juice on a work junket. She resigned for that because she spent $16 on a glass of orange juice. And while it was excessive for a glass of OJ, was it worth resigning over? Apparently not because the party that forced her to resign won't resign themselves when they're actually found in violation of ethics rules. No, you can't give government contracts to your buddy. God, how do you think that that's okay? But let's add it up. This is now the third Justin Trudeau cabinet minister found in violation of the ethics rules, in addition to Trudeau himself, who's been found to have violated them twice. Five times in eight years. Ethics violations. This is our government. This is our government. And nobody can stop them. Jagmeet Singh could stop him, but he's not doing anything about it. He says he might. He's, he's toying with us. Oh, I might pull my support from the liberals if they don't fund health care properly. Can we, when it comes to health care funding, this is not a partisan issue. It's what we need. We have kids that are getting flown from Hamilton to Ottawa or Ottawa to Toronto. We talked about sending them to fucking Buffalo because we don't have room in our pediatric hospitals because there's a big burst. Well, I don't run a hospital. But I trust the people that make these decisions when they say, we need more money right now. Okay, if you need more money, the only place it can come from is the federal government. We've been having this debate for seven years. Seven years, and we're still no further ahead. The NDP says if Justin doesn't give money to the hospitals, he might pull his support. Might? What are you fucking talking about? You're the one who holds the balance of power here, Jagmeet. If you don't like that our hospitals are not being properly funded, pull your support. Pull it now. Have an election. Let's get this fixed. It's the only way it's going to get done. But everybody's playing games and nobody's thinking about actual people. There's a problem in our hospitals right now, a big problem. They say it's money. I'll, I'll tell, I guess it is money. I'll trust their judgment. I don't know how money is going to solve this problem right now, but apparently it's money. So fund it. We have a universal health care system for a reason. And if we're going to have this system... As archaic and inefficient as it is, we got to fund it. Pay the money, Justin. Sit down with the premiers and work out a deal. Stop fucking around. And Jagmeet, why are you waiting? We don't need an emergency debate. Ask Trudeau. Are you going to give him the money? You've got till Christmas Eve. Do it or we have an election in early January. It's that simple. If you don't do that, you're just playing games. Anyway. Fuck. Why is this so hard, Cat? I don't understand. I don't know, I mean, man. This I'm- is their job. The airports are on our mind, Kat. Yeah. The summertime was a mess. We all remember that. They didn't have enough staff, and and there was a lot of stick handling about why that was, but we didn't have enough staff. 
And now apparently we do have adequate staff below pre-pandemic levels, but Pearson Airport says it's ready because next week is going to be the biggest travel week of the year as people come into the Toronto area to see family and friends for the holidays or those people that have to connect in Toronto to get anywhere else in North America. The problem is, while you yourself may be able to successfully take off or land from YYZ, there's a distinct possibility your bags may not. And it seems like there's a lot of luggage getting lost in the last few weeks. That does not add up with what Pearson is saying that they're ready for the holiday rush. So my question is, is it the airlines? (laughs) Or is it the airport? that should be worried about the fact that there's a lot of luggage going missing. I don't understand how this happened. So this just happened to my sister-in-law. She was here um, on a work thing and whatever, lost her luggage. That sucked. Um, I, I, and it was a connecting flight. The, the, everybody that was on that connecting flight lost their luggage. First of all, nothing gets lost. I mean, it's, it's there somewhere. Why do we go through this process at the airport of doing all of this shit and sitting there and waiting for these tags to be printed off at that little shitty kiosk thing or, or talking to the person and, and then putting them on the bags and doing all that. Why do, we, why do we go through all these motions if they're just going to get lost anyway? Why don't we just kill time and be like, you know what? Lose this here. Why put a tag on it if you're going to lose it anyway? You know, there was a time. And trust me, I don't work at the airport, so I don't know how it actually works. I'm sure there's a system that's supposed to be in place, but how does this happen so often? Okay, but when they put that long piece of paper with the barcode on, and they always put it around the handle of your suitcase, I was under the impression that as it winds and spins through the bowels of the airport, that it gets scanned and it gets sent to the right plane to be loaded onto. You would think. Is that not happening? I don't know. Is there like a one person in charge of every bag that comes into Pearson? Well, that's what I was wondering. Is this a people problem? Like, is this a person issue or is this a computer issue? Nobody really is clear at all about it. Like how it happens. Do we ever do an investigation? Like, is there ever an investigation? Like my sister-in-law, as example, like I said, lost it. So it ended up being shipped back to her in Edmonton. Okay. It ended up being there when she got back. Terrible timing. Like, thanks for my bags now that I'm home. Okay. But if that was me, I'd like to know the journey of this bag. Where was it? How was Arizona? How, how did it get lost? <laughs> how did it get either put on the wrong plane or put in a storage unit when it was supposed to be on the on a on a plane? I don't understand how I don't understand how this happens. Or it never made it on the plane in the first place. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't probably. So, so where was it? In the airport? But I mean, this is 2022 and we're a G7 country. How have we not figured out how to move a bag from know. A to B, especially when the bag belongs to a person that's on that plane? I don't understand it. I almost think that we've got to go back old school. We got to go back to the time with when there was no jetways and there was no uh, automated baggage process. You take all your bags right to the gate. You leave them at the bottom of the plane, and then you go up the stairs with your carry-on and sit in your seat. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way that we're <laughs> going to get our bags from A to B. Yeah. It seems like that's the only thing. Well, we're at the point now where most people are just trying their best to shove everything in a carry-on because f- screw that. I'm not checking anything because they're afraid it's going to get lost. Or all of, you know not to put your valuables in there, but sometimes if you're carrying a lot of what might be valuables, you have to put stuff in your car- in your checked bag. But it's also the fee. It wasn't that long ago that if you were flying, I mean, maybe like, I don't know, Toronto to Ottawa, short hop, if you absolutely need to bring a checked bag, maybe we'll charge you for that. But I mean, nobody's going to Europe without a bag. Nobody's going to the West Coast or to the Caribbean for a week without a bag. Yep. It used to be included. It was built right into the sure, price. Yeah. Why now am I get? ooh, look at me. I got an $89 flight to Cancun and then $400 in additional <laughs> charges. 
I mean, it's the same thing. Why don't they just go back I to know. including the bag? If you're charging me for the bag, but I can't be confident you're going to get the bag from A to B, yeah. what's the point? I know. Would you shop in a store that constantly didn't have what you were looking for or that constantly screwed with you? Probably not. But with airlines, we don't really have a choice. You don't. I mean, you can choose between like the worst or the or the very worst. <laughs> that, that's how I feel with airlines. Uh, that that's kind of just how it goes. Yeah, we don't we don't have a lot of options there that are I mean that are most people can afford. Well, to Pearson's credit, they are trying to improve things in a, anticipation of next week. They say the days leading up to Christmas are expected to be the busiest travel time of the year, as well as the days on and around January 9th, when many students return to school. They're reminding passengers that they've introduced an online security reservation system and a wait time dashboard to help plan arrival times at the airport. Also, international passengers can complete their declaration form in advance and then access the express custom line. Hmm. I've got Nexus. I don't worry about any of this shit when I go to the airport. If I've got to fly somewhere, I get there an hour before my flight. Boom, Nexus, I'm through. Like, I never have any problems. I get that it was horrible in the summer and next week is probably going to be bad. We've added all these things, and I don't know that they're really going to help. The wait time dashboard, okay, I mean, it's nice to know if my flight's going to be on time. It's kind of nice, I guess, to to be given a little guidance on when to get to the airport. If you have an 11 a.m. flight, typically they'd say be there at what, 9, 2 hours before your flight? Yeah, usually, depending on where you're traveling to. But let's say 2 is the average. If you're going really international, maybe 3 hours. 3 hours, yeah, yeah. See, I never do that and I've never had a problem. No. And during I don't even want to say just during COVID because when I was when I was flying out from a small airport, region of Waterloo Airport, I was flying out and they warned us 3 hours. They told us 3 hours. Did we listen? No and thank God, Scott, because same thing. There was a line to get in to the main part and that was it. We were in and in two when like I said we got there 2 hours before the flight we were good to go an hour and 45 minutes before the flight. Like it took 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So I know they do that just in case. And of course there's the off chance, especially at a bigger airport, like a Pearson, you're going to be waiting longer than that to get through. And you never know what's going to happen. But I don't know. Three hours is usually pretty excessive. I've never done it. It's time to stop screwing around and and stop having this monopoly at YYZ. And, and let's start using the airports outside there's talk for years as, oh, since I was a kid about yeah. having another truly international Pearson size airport. And the talk was always that if they ever built it, it would go out in like Oshawa mm-hmm. or Durham or Durham region anyway. Yeah. But we have Hamilton that's doing international flights, but on a small scale. We've got the Waterloo Airport that's doing international flights, but again, on a small scale. London does it. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just have a very comparable schedule as Pearson? At Hamilton or or at Kitchener yeah. or at London or whatever. Why are there no Air Canada flights going in and out and WestJet and stuff like that? It seems like a waste when we force 90% of the air traffic to Toronto, but that's where the problem is. People don't usually complain about the Hamilton airport experience or I the know. Kitchener airport no, experience. No, because it's fantastic. So why are we still, why are we forcing this square into a round hole? It doesn't make sense when we could divvy this up and make it a far more efficient. Uh, I think that that it's probably going to be time soon to have a conversation about how we move people around because the easier way really does seem to be just go down to Buffalo. You ever flown out of the Buffalo airport? I never have. Cat, it is life changing. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I would do it. Oh my god, you're it's a domestic flight anywhere in America because you cross the bridge before you get to the airport. There's never a line. 
It's cheap. You can fly from one coast to the other for like 80 bucks. I don't know why we're still doing things the way we're doing, but hopefully we'll make some progress in the times to come. Uh, homelessness is, of course, always on our mind. And, and thinking about the people who have become unhoused recently and will in the coming weeks and months. In the region of Waterloo, where we do our radio show, I got to give the organizers credit because what they've done here, I feel like it's brilliant. They're using some regional property up in Waterloo that already has paramedic services there. That's where EMS does their training. It's set up for this. They're going to make the first managed homeless encampment. I don't know where they got these things, but they found all these like, it's like a shed. And these people who go to this homeless encampment basically live in a shed. But there's going to be, let me tell you about the amenities that this place is going to have. They can do 50 people in the current configuration, but there's always room to add more of these little huts. Each small, sorry, they call them cabins, not huts now, and not sheds. We've seen them before, by the way, um, similar. They're all like painted different colors. This is different though, right? This yeah. is a new slew of them, if you will. A new slew of them. These are equipped with electricity, okay. heating and air conditioning, running water, washrooms, laundry services, and space for meals. Now that part's all common area. Mm-hmm. You might not necessarily have your own toilet in your little cabin, but they're close by anyway. If you've got a choice between sleeping in a bus shelter or the lobby of a bank or having one of these cabins that you can call your own until you get back on your feet and it's heated and you've got bathroom facilities and shower facilities, I have to think that's a hell of a lot better than the option of sleeping in the vestibule at the bank. Yeah. Uh, Yes, for, yeah, absolutely. We're going to need a lot more of that, though. I mean, there's only 50 people that can go to this particular Right, yes. And where are they placing it? Is this becoming a fight? Is this going to be a fight? Well, this is the whole NIMBY thing. Nobody wants it in their backyard. Everybody wants a solution for those who are unhoused, but nobody really wants it in their hood. Sure. And I don't blame them, to be honest with you. Let's be honest. This comes with a whole set of issues. There's drugs, and there's crime, and there's thefts. I don't blame you for not wanting it in your backyard, but we have to put it somewhere. This one is going to go... Kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's right on the border of Wilmot and Waterloo. Okay. On Herb Street. Okay. Yep. Hey, listen, I don't know if that's the best location. I'm just saying that for areas that are trying to figure out what to do with people that are homeless, the encampment thing is not working. You've probably seen the stories on the news about what's happening in Toronto. All it takes is one person who hooked up a propane tank the wrong way, and boom, you've got... 50 different tents on fire, and then the homeless are even more homeless than they were the night before. Sorry, when you say managed, too, who's managing these? Ah, it's kind of like a resort-type setup, although not nearly as nice. This is going to have staff that are going to be on hand. Like, if you're a— Volunteer staff, or is this— No, they're paid regional staff. This is regional staff. Okay, okay. So, I mean, if you think of it this way— You manage to get yourself into one of these cabins, and it's everything you need. It's not luxurious, but it's safe. It's got a door that you can lock. It's a place to keep your stuff so you don't have to haul it around with you everywhere you go. And we see that all the time, homeless people pushing shopping carts and stuff just so that they can keep their stuff and it doesn't get stolen. Mm -hmm. Well, this has got a door. It's got a lock. There's staff there if you, I don't know, are having a mental health crisis. Someone's going to be there that can actually be trained to help you. I mean, I think that Mm. as far as those who don't have a home are concerned, this is probably a best case scenario. It's also a lot more secure. If there's staff there and shit goes down, somebody's dealing drugs or a fight breaks out, they can have emergency services right there. 
That's where the paramedics have one of their headquarters. So if something happens, they are right there. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. I think more yeah. regions should look into this. I, I, I have no idea what goes into running a homeless encampment, but this is almost the region saying, we see what you guys did on your own. Let us help. We're going to set it up this way, and it's going to be a lot safer and a lot more secure for you. Again, the problem here, though, is when each person gets their own cabin, as they call it. They're small, by the way. It's got to be like eight by eight, but right. it's enough. That's right. a, if you just want shelter sure. and warmth and safety, there you go. They'd have to build one for every person who needs one. They're only doing 50 in this case for, I think the last I heard was 2,300 homeless people in this area right now. So it's not nearly enough to cover the demand, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the way this should go, right? I mean, as long as people have a door to lock and a place to lay their head where they don't have to worry about getting stabbed in the middle of the night, I would think that's the goal, right? Yeah, I think so. And I I mean, I definitely am am the type of person, I don't know a lot about it. I've never worked um, with an organization uh, that that does anything um, in helping the homeless populations. Um, I hope to. Uh, obviously, one day I've worked with many organizations, just that hasn't been one of them. So my education on that is is limited. It really is. It sounds good to me. Yes, I do understand the NIMBY thing too. Sounds like an okay location. Why can't other places find spots that make sense um, and, and other help that could come their way? I just wonder how they're going to be able to get uh, whatever they need there, too. I assume that maybe organizations would kick in and help out, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. Let's 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 change things up. And who wants to be outside in the cold? You know, it's I think about people who are homeless, especially this time of year when it gets so cold outside. And I wonder how like nobody should be outside in these temperatures. Just this morning. I was driving in and I was doing that. You know when you go out to your car and it's still frosted over and you've either got to get out and scrape or you've got to sit there until it warms up and it melts? Yeah. And you're like holding onto the steering wheel just yelling, fuck, until you're warm enough? Mm -hmm. So I was having one of those moments and I'm feeling horrible for myself. Like, oh my God, it's this ungodly hour and I'm freezing cold and I'm miserable and I would take that any day of the week over what some of these people have to deal with Mm -hmm. that don't have a home. Mm -hmm. And the reason I really like that story is because I think that that's the missing piece here. There's a lot of people who don't want to go to a shelter because shelters they feel aren't safe. There's also not a lot of security uh, in that you can take your coat off, hang your coat up and go to sleep and not worry that someone's going to steal your coat while you were asleep. Little things like that. Most shelters are full too. It's not even an option for a lot of people. So this, I think, is a great start. We would have to build a lot more of them, but I think they're on the right track with that. Uh, Continuing to blow through, because there's more things that we got to cover here. Uh, Special weather statement is in effect for tomorrow. Tomorrow looks like it's going to be a goddamn mess. Yeah, it is. Um, Enjoy. enjoy If you're listening to this uh, Wednesday, enjoy, uh, because it is going to be insane starting Thursday. And it's a mixed bag, too. And it depends on who you ask, but it looks as though, for the most part, either freezing rain or ice pellets for the morning. And then that's going to change to snow toward the afternoon. Depending where you live, yeah, you you could see more, maybe five centimeters, maybe up to 10. And it does also depend on temperature because the high is two. But we all know sometimes it doesn't feel like two degrees. And with the wind chill factored in there, uh, blowing snow, lots of traffic issues could come our way tomorrow. It's a possibility. Skate Canada has updated their policies so that ice dance or pairs teams competing domestically can be composed of any two athletes. Canada's governing body of figure skating says the definition of team for athletes training in its programs will be revised to consisting of two skaters. Uh The previous definition was consisting of a woman and a man. 
Hey, listen, I I really, really, really want to be clear here that I, I think that we need to do everything we can to be as inclusive as possible. Full stop. What worries me a little bit, and we see it starting to creep into sports a little bit, is those who um, uh, are a genetic male or born a male that want to win and they compete in women's categories and vice versa. In this case, you could have two male skaters. No, no, it's got to be pa- – yeah, no, it could be two male skaters yeah. competing against women if both those males identify as women or are transgender or in the process of transitioning or really just on a declaration that they want to be women. So they could then compete in the female categories. And it could also go the other way. Does it give an advantage to one or the other? I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about figure skating. No. I watch figure skating during the Olympics, but that's about it. It does, though, open up the door for that. It takes down that curtain that separated female athletes from male athletes in certain sports. Now that's not going to be an issue for domestic competition because you could have men, biological men in the women's category or biological women in the men's category. Yeah, for skating, I don't. I think it matters not. I, I'm glad to, to see this because um, we've seen incredible uh, figure skating, whether it is a female or a male um, mostly only seeing female male partnerships. It's this is very blades of glory, isn't it? <laughs> very exciting stuff. Um, I th- I find nothing wrong with it. It's uh, by the way, that's the Will Ferrell movie reference. I know you don't do movies, so I'm not sure if you know that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I I have no problem with it when it comes to figure skating. I understand where you're coming from when it comes with when it comes to certain, um, even Olympic um sports, I suppose, where there is an advantage just based on body. <laughs> like based on body build and muscle and all the other things that go into it. I'm Training, not a, I'm endurance, not, yeah. I'm not a professional in the in, in the anatomy of how it all works, but I know that that's a thing and that's a scientific thing. So that that would be one thing for me. Skating? No, not at all. I think that we have extremely talented people. I think that how you do a sow cow or whatever the fuck you're doing matters not. If you have what no, no matter what your genitalia is, you could do a fucking good one, triple sow, or you could do a shitty sow cow and fall on your ass, no matter what you are. So I'm all for this. That's Interesting. Fine. Yep. Okay. Does it open the door, though, for other sports, though? If skating is going to be, it doesn't really matter. There's no gender label on any of these things. It just needs to be two competitors. Does that open it up for other sports where maybe muscle, endurance, training ability, that sort of thing does matter? It could be a conversation. And if the organizations choose to do it and you're thoroughly against it, either don't watch it or don't take part in it. It's as simple as that. Last question on this. What about... Because this is just for domestic competition. The rest of the world does not allow this. Are we giving our athletes a disadvantage if we if we have, say, two biological females training with the men, but then they have to be separated and it has to be a biological female and a biological male for international competition? Maybe I'm not explaining gotcha. this right. Okay, so they have to switch their partner because it's not allowed at the Olympics, yeah, for like example. You can go ahead and do yeah. your routine and get comfortable and think you've got the best thing in the world going – but it only really counts in Canada because when you go to the rest of the world, right. you got to switch again. Yeah. And is that counterproductive? I don't think it's counterproductive. I think that no matter what you're training, um, sure, if you find a partner that works for you and it, they don't allow it in the Olympics, let's say, but you're like of that caliber, then you I mean, it is what it is. You'd have to find partners each maybe and then you go for it. Um, but but it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's still you still get to hone your skills and work on your techniques and stuff with somebody. So no, I don't think it's a negative at all. All right. Last thing. UCLA 
Uh, the medical facilities have put out their annual list. They are the leader on this for some reason. It's amazing that in California they have this problem, but they've published the top five injuries that they deal with regularly around the holidays. There are 160 injuries every day at this time of year from people that fell off a ladder putting up Christmas decorations. (laughs) 160 a day across America go to a hospital because they fell off a ladder putting up Christmas Mm -hmm. lights. There has to be an easier way, or maybe we just have to start training people. Maybe before you can walk into Lowe's or Home Depot and get yourself a big 20-foot extension ladder, they just give you a quick course like, hey, asshole, before you do this, make sure you put it on even ground. Don't lean one way or the other. Go straight up. Come straight down. It's not new, though. People have been falling off ladders putting up Christmas lights for generations. It's basically a tradition at this point. Toy-related injuries is number two. There are around... 150,000 of them every year in kids 14 and under playing with toys. Fires. Mm. Trees cause around 100 major fires in November and December each year. Candles cause about 1,000 of them, and they're asking you to please mind the fire. Don't walk away with a candle lit. If it Mm -hmm. gets knocked over, pick it up right away. And your Christmas tree should not be so fucking dry that it could just go up into flames anytime it comes into contact with a little bit of heat. And good God, don't put the candle near that, near that tree. Please. Lifting injuries. They say every year as people get more and more packages yeah. delivered to their front porch, they are twisting and yeah. bending like they aren't used to doing. And that's sending people to the emergency room. They'd like you to knock that off so they can get back to focusing on COVID and RSV. And <laughs> five is cutting yourself. They say the big culprit is opening packages with scissors or a knife. That's exactly what was in my mind when you said that. Really? I thought, oh, yeah, sometimes you just real quick. Oh, son of a fuck. That's my fingertip. They say (laughs) always cut away from yourself, never towards yourself or anyone else. Yes. And help kids with packaging that may be tough to open. Who throws their kid the scissors in a box and says, nobody does. a little bit? Nobody does. But can I just say, you know what's been a game, an absolute game changer? And I don't know if your kids, um, th- I don't think so. This would have been, uh, this is after your kid's time of, of re- receiving children's gifts. But kids' toys now, they come with easy turn Thanks. You don't need scissors anymore. Really? Yeah, no zip tie, none of that shit. They're twist and release. So inside the packaging, you just give a little tab a twist and the toy just pops right out. Instead of you having to cut like a million different things, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. And I've wondered why we didn't do that many years ago. But I remember as a kid, yeah, you had to sit there and wait and be patient until mom or dad could cut open that thing that you got for Christmas. Like, come on, I want it. Or you sneak the scissors and run the risk that you're going to be a statistic yeah. in the emergency room. And then you room. accidentally stab your sister in the eye. <laughs> Whoops. Guys, have a great hump day. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of After 9. Bye-bye. According to a survey during the holidays, most dog owners buy a gift for their pet. Yeah. And then there's the people who are too lazy to shop and just give their dog cash. All I want for Christmas, I don't know if you know this, is number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, again, for the fourth year in a row. It's a 25-year-old song. They should rename it Mariah Carey's 401k. <laughs> a bipartisan group of lawmakers announced a bill that would ban TikTok in the U.S. <laughs> right now, Gen Z is like, we ride at dawn. <laughs> According to a new study, people who use an alarm clock to wake up are more tired 
than people who wake up naturally, though people who wake up naturally tend to be more fired. <laughs> the After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.